Sword of Omens, come to my hand. I, Lionel, command it. I also command that you keep listening to Adrian Has Issues. Welcome to Adrian Has Issues. I'm Adrian, and I'm still sick. <laughs> four conventions and four weekends. I'm just going to repeat that just so it's in your mind. Four conventions and four weekends. That's four conventions a week. Most of those, of those conventions were two days, except for the last of Tuny Games, which was three days. Back when I was first planning this months ago, this seemed like the greatest idea. I'm like, look... I want to do a big with Adrian Has Issues. I really want the show to be huge. I want to get as many cool creators, indie or otherwise, I can on the show. But the only thing is, I can only do so much from just being on Twitter and just sending out emails. Sometimes you just kind of have to go where the people are. So, in planning so, it all kind of worked out. Everything looked cool. I was like, okay, I could do this. There's no way I'm going to regret this. And believe me, I still haven't regretted it. However, I've kind of realized uh, my body is a temple, but yet that temple is in, like the middle of Pompeii because uh, <laughs> by the time I got to weekend number three for Northeast uh, Comic Con in Wilmington, Massachusetts, I, I was starting to feel a little run down. If you listen to episodes 15 and 16, uh, I also I had some interviews done at Special Edition NYC. And also, I got to talk to my girlfriend, my creative director for the podcast, about both shows and Special Edition NYC and Eternal Con in Long Island. So, there was a lot of chatter about that. The last two shows solo, unfortunately, my girlfriend was unable to attend. So, the first show, like I said, was at Northeast Comic Con in Wilmington, Massachusetts. That was a lot of fun. I got a great video, and I hope to really, in the next couple of days get those videos up of the Adam West panel. If you have watched any of Family Guy and you're looking at Adam West, I believe you me, he's not playing. It's not a character. He is out of his mind, and I say that in the best way possible. This man has so many great stories and anecdotes, and it's told in that Adam West cadence that you can't really... You, people have tried to mimic, but you can't. He's just Adam West, and he's a true original, so I can't wait to get those videos up. Also, I got to meet a very awesome individual, Vivek Tiwari. He is the writer of a graphic novel called The Fifth Beetle, with uh, art by Andrew Robinson and cartoonist Kyle Baker. What The Fifth Beetle is about and what we get into is, we all know the story about what we know as the Fab Four. You know, these four guys in Liverpool who were making fun pop songs in a place where no one knew where they were from, came over to the U.S., pretty much kicked off the British invasion, changed the, the, the face of modern rock and pop for ages and still continue to do so. It's a great story. And the interview was very sudden because I had, like I tell the story in the interview, I had bought the comic when I first arrived. However, uh, Vivek was doing a panel. He was kind of running about. So I, fortunately, I didn't get a chance to talk to him until late Saturday night. 
And he, he was so cool. And he was willing to do an interview right there on the spot. So I, I had an absolute blast talking to him. I won't give away the whole story, but he's got some plans for the fifth Beatle that it's, it's going to blow your mind. He, he's a really, really cool guy. Now, the fourth and final convention was pretty much like I would consider the end game. Like I was really starting to feel it physically. Too many games in Oaks, Pennsylvania. I am a, a huge video game fan. I'm talking current, retro. You put a controller in my hand or give me like an arcade cabinet or something, I'm, I'm your best friend. I love talking video games and believe I really want to do more video game based content on the show. So within the coming weeks, I'm going to start working out the logistics of that. However, I had such a great time talking to so many great people. Um, the World of Square, who has actually been a guest on my show back when it was still Agent and Atlas have issues, the episode entitled Blood and Blood Out, they were a lot of fun. If you don't know who they are, the World of Square is a video game tribute band. But as opposed to doing your standard rock or metal arrangements for video games, they do folk covers. But as the name suggests, songs that they cover are strictly from Square Enix and Squaresoft games. So you get your Final Fantasy, Chrono Trigger, Secret of Mana. So I got to see them for the last two weekends. Descendants of Erdrick, whom if you've listened to, again, my last show, Agent and Atlas Have Issues, I got to interview Amanda LaPree, a brilliant solo artist, and she's the front woman of another video game tribute band called Descendants of Erdrick. When I was talking to her then, she had transitioned to a new lineup, but I got to see them with the, the new current lineup, and face melting doesn't even begin to describe it. Oh, let's see, Professor Shy Guy, Mega Ran, so many great video games, music acts, it, it was so much fun. But I also have an interview coming from a gentleman named Rick Kelly, who is the proprietor and programmer for Underbite Studios. The second interview you'll hear in this episode is from him. He has this great game called Heroes Guard the Journal, which is a interactive game i would say an interactive game it's also a book and it's also a card game it's really cool and it really does bring interactivity to a whole new level so if you're into indie developers you definitely want to check out that interview you'll get vivek Tawari's fifth beetle interview and also rick kelly's interview about heroes guard the journal and thanks for dealing with me because unfortunately as i'm saying this i'm still kind of recovering from a really bad respiratory infection so i probably sound like i'm dying but that's okay i, I couldn't tell you how much fun i've had last month going to these conventions meeting creators talking to other fans and cosplayers i love i love this and believe me if it weren't for the fact that eventually i would need to sleep and well recover i would go to conventions almost every weekend because it's not only reaffirming but it's also just so great to meet the people that are also the same things you are. There's nothing more uplifting than being in a room full of positivity and whether you're a writer or an artist or a cosplayer or just a fan or, you know, what have you. Just being in that environment, it really does, and this is going to sound really cheesy, but it makes life worth living. I've arranged a lot of interviews, and hopefully within the next couple weeks, I'll be talking more to the people that I've been meeting, so please stay tuned, because there's so much great stuff coming down the pipeline, I can't even get into it all. Well, I mean, I could, but I would rather just spend more time having you hear the interviews as opposed to me rambling about them. But before I go, I want you guys to know that, first off, thank you for listening to this great show, and believe me, it doesn't end here. I'm always willing to chat with people on social networking. I'm on Twitter at Adrian Has Issues. 
Facebook.com slash Adrian Has Issues. I'm on Instagram at Adrian Has Issues Pod. Um, you can email me at Adrian Has Issues at gmail.com. Hit me up. Let's get talking. Let's get some dialogue going. And of course, as always, you can check out the main website, AdrianHasIssues.com. We're on iTunes and Stitchers as well as Stitchers. Jesus Christ, listen to me. I sound like an old man. We're on the Stitchers now, and I don't know. It's one of those talking computer boxes I've heard so much about, but I don't know what those are. <laughs> Jeez, yes. Well, I am on the Stitchers. The Stitches, if you will. <laughs> so look for me there. You can stream episodes. You can uh, download them if you're on iTunes. I'm pretty much everywhere. You know, I, I, I'm almost like the... the uh, no, that, oh, that's a dark reference. Never mind. But let's just say I'm in a lot of places online. Anyway, I'm going to shut up. This is what happens when you try to do an intro for your show when you're still medicated. But <laughs> without further ado, check out the first interview, which is from Vivek Tawari about the Fifth Beetle. Afterwards, you're going to hear a, a commercial for ComicExposure.com, which is a great website where you can order comic books, variants, exclusives. Pretty much, it takes the comic book shop experience, but brings it to the internet instead. So definitely check out that commercial. And after that break, you'll hear the second interview with Rick Kelly from Underbite Studios about Heroes Guard the Journal. Uh, so without further ado, uh, here's that interview, and uh, we will see you later. Hello, and welcome to Adrian Has Issues. I'm Adrian, and I am here at Northeast Comic Con in Wilmington, Massachusetts, which is probably the furthest I've gone to do a comic book convention. But it's been an absolute blast, and this is great. I'm, I'm having so much fun. I got to talk. I, I didn't get to talk to Adam West, unfortunately. I did get <laughs> to sit in the same room with him, which honestly is just as good. It's pretty cool. Right now, I'm talking to Vivek Tawari, yep. the writer of a really awesome graphic novel, The Fifth Beetle, the Brian Epstein story. Vivek, yeah. how's it going, man? It's going great. It's great to be here. Thanks for taking the time out to chat. No, thanks for talking to me. I was here earlier today. You're just one of the first booths I came uh, to stop at, but you were here actually at a panel, Yeah. which I feel so bad that I missed. No, no worries. Because I, I was running behind, but there was a really nice lady here who was talking about the book, but then she was like, oh, he'll be back to sign it. And I'm <laughs> like, well, tell yeah. you what, I'll buy the book and I'll come back and get it signed. And thank you for doing that my friend and it's like the minute i started talking to you it's like this guy has a great story i need to know what it is thanks i appreciate that so without any more uh rambling from me what is the fifth beetle actually about yeah so it's it's called the fifth beetle the brian epstein story and it is the story of brian epstein who is the man that discovered and managed the beetles so brian discovers the beetles when they are an unknown liverpool group they're they're relatively obscure they're playing basement clubs um they are smoking on stage drinking on stage <laughs> goofing around totally unprofessional talented musicians but totally unprofessional <laughs> right and brian hears in their music a group that has an important message of love to share with the world and is enchanted and he is the guy that puts them in suits and haircuts cleans them up teaches them how to be professional and works his, his tail off for them he convinces a record label to sign them when no label is interested he convinces ed sullivan to book them when a british band has never made an impact in the united states and dedicates his life to helping the beatles spread their great message of love across the globe uh, he's basically the guy that engineered and created beatlemania and on top of that, uh, the, I mean, that in itself to me is a fantastic story. It's a great Beatles story. Right. That's pretty nuts, especially for any diehard Beatles That's fan. exactly right. I mean, and that's the place I was initially coming from. But what I also uncovered was the, the personal side of his story. And uh, he was gay and Jewish and from Liverpool. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of a triple threat, especially in oh, that time. Oh, my gosh. In the 1960s. Yeah. It was, it was a felony to be gay. Two men was seen holding hands walking down the street could have been thrown in jail. 
anti-Semitism is prevalent in the country. And Liverpool, prior to the Beatles, was not a town that had any cultural influence whatsoever. So literally in Brian Epstein, you've got a gay Jewish kid <laughs> running around a dirty port town in the north of England saying he found a rock and roll band who are going to be bigger than Elvis. And to you them... You know, it's ludicrous. Yeah, I'm guessing the, what the book actually gets into is how that even comes about because you're shaming yourself with all these things against them. How do you even get people to listen to that message? That's or exactly to- right. Yeah, he just has to chase it. You know, he has to beat down every door he can until somebody's going to take a listen. You know, it's uh, and I don't want to give away too many of the actual details, right. but that's basically what the book is about is how he got people to listen and how he overcame his personal demons to make that happen. So um, how did you actually approach the creation of the story or coming up to concept? Was it just a matter of you were a fan of the Beatles and then it's like, well, I want to know more about them? Or what was it about this particular story that inspired you to then create this? Yeah. So certainly I'm a lifelong Beatles fan and that's where it all started. However, like this really is Brian's story. And what attracted me to Brian was I was a business student. I found myself at the Wharton School of Business in 1991, uh, and I was dreaming of a career in the arts and entertainment industries. And in 91, Wharton didn't really have a lot of resources for students who wanted to get involved in the arts. Um, That has changed. They certainly have more resources for that now. But back then, I had to take it on myself. You know, most of my classes were surrounding finance and accounting and investment banking and fields like that. So I did extracurricular studies, if you will. (laughs) And uh, I thought that the Beatles were the group that wrote and then rewrote the rules of the pop music music business. So so I thought if I'm going to work in the music business, uh, I should study the lives of the great music visionaries. And and Brian Epstein is the leader of that pack, I thought. And in 1991, I like to throw out that date because it puts it in real perspective. There's no Wikipedia. There's no YouTube. There's no Google. It's so scary to think that there was a time when it didn't happen. Yeah. I mean, so so I couldn't, I was stunned that I couldn't find out information about the guy that discovered the band. There, the Fifth Beatle today is the only book in print about Brian. Um, there is another book that's been out of print for many decades, and I couldn't find it at all then. Now you can find it relatively easy on, on a used book websites and whatnot. Right. It's called The Man Who Made the Beatles. It's a great book. Um, but, you know, so all of a sudden it was this mystery that, like, why is it that I could walk into Barnes & Nobles and find a book about John Lennon's astrologist, <laughs> and I couldn't find a book about the guy who discovered the band? It's, like, it's yeah, crazy, talk, right? There's, comic, there's stories about his hairstylist, but not necessarily the guy who it's discovered It's crazy, them. right? So, so that's how it all began. And, uh, and it started, uh, you know, I had to do interviews. I had to call up people who knew Brian and just ask them to talk to me. And at the time, I was just a, a young kid looking for inspiration, for life inspiration. Right. I wasn't writing books or screenplays or anything like that. And uh, not one of the people I cold called turned me away. And that's really how it all began. You know, So yes, it started from being a Beatles fan, but really it started out from, from somebody who wanted to learn right, about so the business. In a way, it's almost kind of like you're a historian more so than just a, a standard... A fan, because I'm sure if you just came to the house and someone's like, "Oh, I really love the Beatles. I want to find out about them," but just wanted to get that backstory. It's, yeah. it's incredible. And you know, I have to tell you, like the the it's the emotional side of the story that actually surprisingly is the one that that struck the deep chord for me. Because I got into it wanting the business stories, wanting right. the like, how did he get the record deal? How did he market them? How did he convince Ed Sullivan to book them? Those are the stories I was after because I was a business student. But it was the fact that this underdog that he was, you know, by being gay and Jewish and from Liverpool. He was an outcast. He was the ultimate outsider. You know, and I and I don't want to pretend that I've had those obstacles in my life. Compared to Brian, I think I've had a pretty charmed life. <laughs> um, but nevertheless, as a young kid in running around New York's Lower East Side of Indian origin, you know, what was expected of me was to become a doctor or an engineer right. or go into technology. That's what young people of Indian origin who have some means and opportunity do. 
We don't write comic books or produce <laughs> Broadway musicals, which is something else I do. You know, like so. So Brian Epstein, the story of Brian Epstein was a message to me, an example that no dream is too impossible and no person too unlikely to realize that dream. And that to me was powerful stuff. And that's why I've done this project, you know, because I want other people to know that. I want other people to see that. I want to share this story with the world in the hopes that other people will be inspired in some small way the way I was when I discovered it. From here, where does this now go? Do you have any other aspirations? Yeah, so we, we are turning it into a film. The book's been out for a little over a year. I'm really excited to say that it's done incredibly well, won a bunch of awards, and, and uh, now we're very squarely focused on its film adaptation. And the film is moving forward. Just a few weeks ago, we announced that we've secured financing from an independent studio called I Am Global. Um, Simon Cowell is coming on board as a co-producer and I'm producing as well and I've written the screenplay so the screenplay is done and uh, very exciting is that we have secured the approval of the Beatles meaning Paul, Ringo, Yoko Ono and Olivia Harrison have signed off on the project which allowed us to do a deal with Sony ATV who control the Lennon McCartney music publishing which is a very long-winded and technical way of saying <laughs> that I have Beatles music. Um, I'm able to put Be Beatles music into the film. Yeah I would say that in itself is key. For instance, I know there was the issue with the Jimi Hendrix movie they were trying to do yeah. where they couldn't secure the music. Crazy, right? And it's kind of like, well, how does how that do work? How do you do it? That's exactly right. We we are the first, and the fifth Beatle is the first and only film in history about the Beatles to have secured their approval to have music rights. I mean, if you look at other Beatles films like Backbeat or Nowhere Boy, right. there's no Beatles music in those films. And so it's a... It's we're very, very proud of that. It's a, a huge responsibility, um, but uh, but I'm very, very excited to be moving forward. And and uh, please, anyone in the audience who's interested to, in, in hearing the updates, um, please follow us on Facebook at The Fifth Beetle or on Twitter at, at Fifth Beetle or at our website at fifthbeetle.com because I expect within the next several months um, we'll be announcing our director and cast. I just have to ask, though, from someone who, of course, wrote as far as a comic, has there, was there any sort of difficulty in then translating that to a screenplay as far as like the film side of things? Because you did say you do produce Broadway. Yeah. So, well, you do at least have some experience with stage, though. But how has that transition been as far as the movie-making side yeah, of things? Yeah, you know, it wasn't it wasn't hard. It was really fun. And, you know, I, you, I, I when I have like a second to describe the, the project, I say we're adapting it into a film because it's easy to understand that. But really, the truth is it's not so much an adaptation as it is an expansion. You know, the graphic novel is 128 pages and I did that on purpose I wanted it to be a thin read I wanted people to see this book in an airport bookstore and think I could pick this up and read it before my flight lands and give it a shot you know right. um, but in order to do that there was a lot of stories uh, a lot of elements of the Brian Epstein story that I couldn't get into great detail with and I had to make choices so now that I'm doing a film, I'll get to expand on some of those elements, you know, and, and tell stories that I didn't get to tell in the graphic novel. So to me, that made it not difficult, but fun, you know, because I was really expanding on something that I did and getting to cover material that I wanted to cover and couldn't. Um, to give Beatles fans one example, if you've read the book, those Beatles fans out there will know that Pete Best, his story is not really delved into detail in the graphic novel. Well, Pete Best is going to be a big part of the film, and his story will be a large part of the film. And that's something that uh, I made a judgment call. I made a decision that we were going to leave it out of the graphic novel. Well, now I'm going to put it in the film, and I'll be the first to admit I'm not sure it was the right call, but now I now I get it in the film, so I get to... And it's a chance where I get to, to, to actually, you know, now you have to go see the movie, so if you want to get more exactly of the story. That's exactly right. And I, I like to think if you're interested 
interested in learning the Brian Epstein story, you'll need to both read the book and see the movie to get a totally complete picture. You know, it's not as though you can do one or the other. They're not right. the same thing. You know, they complement each other rather than sort of replace each other. Great, Vivek. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute blast Thanks. chatting with you. And hopefully we'll have you on again. And especially I'd when the love movie to. comes out, I would love to sit down and talk about that. And matter of fact, maybe you can come back and talk about the book itself. <laughs> Anytime. I love to talk about this. It's a labor of love. Anytime you'll have me, I'll be there to talk. Great, Vivek. Thank you so much. And that'll do it for Adrian Has Issues. We will see you next issue. Hey guys, Adrian here. I've got to tell you, there's no greater feeling than walking into a comic book store on a Wednesday and getting all of the books you want with zero hassle. That's the type of America I want to live in. But here's the harsh reality. Not everybody has the luxury of living near a comic book shop. Or maybe you do live near one. But unfortunately, your store sucks. Clerk is a bit of a know-it-all and stuff is hard to find and they never have any good deals and exclusives. There's no worse feeling than going to a store and getting harassed by that creepy guy who never buys anything and all he does is pounce on anybody he could find just to pester him about whatever comic book movie's coming out. Believe me, we all know the guy, it's a terrible thing, I don't want to be a part of it. But here's the thing, you don't have to worry about that anymore because ComicExposure.com is here to save you from the drudgery of bad comic shop experiences. That's C-O-M-I-C xposure.com. They've got a wide selection of titles from Marvel, DC, Image, Boom Studios, Dynamite Entertainment, just to name a few. Comic Exposure has some great titles from indie publishers you know and love as well. We all know how difficult it is to obtain exclusives and variants to comic books. 9 out of 10 times you're forced to live a life of ill repute to afford them. Comic Exposure excels at getting hard to find variants and you won't have to lower your morals in the process. 4th of July is over, but right now you can take advantage of Comic Exposure's Freedom Sale. Get an extra 10% off of your order, plus one free copy of Marvel's current hate event Secret Wars No. 1, an exclusive Space Cadets when orders exceed $49.99, and free shipping on orders $30 or more. You get all this by using the offer code FREEDOM at checkout. Great discounts on great comics? Ain't that America? Go to ComicExposure.com, a brand new way to get the comics you want. Hello and welcome to Adrian Has Issues. I'm Adrian. I am here live at Too Many Games 2015. This is day three, Sunday. I'm exhausted. My guest is exhausted, but still he's been super awesome in terms of getting the energy together to come chat with me for a little bit about Underbite Studios. I'm going to shut up, but without further ado, here's my guest, Rick Kelly. Rick, how's it going, man? Hey, guys. Uh, pretty good. I think, as you said, pretty exhausted standing around for three days trying to engage with people, get them interested in the game and stuff, but it's been a lot of fun. So You've been doing a really good job of it, because I'm not going to lie, I remember I met you, was that Friday, Friday evening, because I got here a little around closing, and you know, you were still pretty engaged, like, oh, hey, let's check out my game, I'm flipping around with it, and I was having a good time. Then I saw you again yesterday, and I saw you again today. For someone who's exhausted, you were wearing it surprisingly well. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. Yeah. Like, I wish I had that because honestly, like when I walked in here just now, I looked like a truck hit me before. But I was doing a lot of concerts yesterday, a lot of standing. Yeah, a couple cans of Monster and coffee will kind of get you to where I'm at oh, now. Is that your so. choice to Monster? <laughs> yeah. See, I'm a full throttle guy myself. Monster sends me way over the edge. <laughs> Sometimes that's where you need to be, though. <laughs> <laughs> But still, you've been awesome. But let's get into it, though. Sure. Now, you are a programmer, correct? Programmer by trade, yep. All right, so you were actually the founder of Underbyte Studios, correct? Yep, founder, really one-man guy, yep. So as an indie developer, though, where does it all start for you? Sure, so, well, everybody loves video games. So uh, growing up, I used to kind of 
you know, like making small games at home, and that's how I got into programming. Right. And then I tried to get in the game industry just outside of college, but it's really tough. So instead, I went to go work for a defense contractor, Lockheed. So I worked there for about seven years, and then I got lucky because a company, Zenimax Online Studios, opened up near where I was, and they're creating an MMO. So what that means is they need a shitload of people, a lot <laughs> of folks. And it's East Coast, and so sometimes it can be kind of hard to kind of get all the folks they need to fill the ranks. Right. And so my resume came across them and said, hey, you know, you want to come here and work? I was like, uh, are you kidding? Yeah, and like, it shouldn't even be do you want to. It's a matter of you're going to work here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Will you pay me, please? I'll come. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so we worked on Elder Scrolls Online, which is cool because it wasn't just a game I wasn't interested in. It was like straight up a genre, the games I loved. I was like, oh, my God, this is like a dream come true. That is so cool. Yeah. And so I got in there, worked there for about two and a half years, I helped launch the PC title, did some uh, P uh, Xbox and PlayStation work, which, you know, you don't normally get a chance to work with those systems because right. the dev kits generally have a, a price tag associated with them. Um, of course, now they're coming a little more indie friendly, but especially back in the day, it's much harder to kind of get a hold of some of yeah, that stuff. Yeah, it was, it was very difficult. I mean, yeah, the indie market's slowly kind of growing a little bit with uh -huh. consoles, Yeah, but it's got a ways to go. But still, that's, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, a lot of fun. And then once I got in, though, I met great people and I used to there's these books called game programming gems I collected them as a kid and I read them and I actually got to work with people who were authors in the books and so I brought the books in had them sign it and it was just it was basically a dream come true kind of thing that's kind of cool yeah. so in other words you're not only someone who works in the industry but you're also a fan Oh, absolutely, and yeah. you know what, though? As weird as that sounds, that's something that's very, I think, important because there's a lot of people, I think, who work in certain industries, but yet they kind of have that feeling like you can't do something like that without having a love for it. Oh, that's definitely, yeah. It takes a love, labor of love to kind of get to the end. Getting the end is the hard part, so you got to push for right. it. Right, and also, I don't think a lot of people also realize the amount of time and work that goes into programming and things like that, which I'd imagine a lot of sleepless nights. Uh... I'm trying to be a little more flexible. Um, that's kind of, so when I worked in the game industry, it was, I won't lie, it was long hours and long weekends, especially even during launch. It's like sometimes you're doing it just for out of excitement. So you're trying right. to, you're getting in there, you're doing it. You know, it's not like they're slave drivers or anything. It's just there's a lot of work to be done, and you want to please all the other fans because you're yourself a fan. You know, like you know how you want it exactly. to be. So you bust your ass kind of get there. Um, but so when I did the indie thing, uh, so I'm doing it full time now. I was like, well. You know, I want to kind of do it at a pace that's reasonable. I want to be able to spend time with my, my lovely wife, who is here helping me today, thank God. And, uh, you know, so, and so she comes home, and I pretty much put work to the side. We make dinner together. We watch a show together. She might go to bed, and then I might, or while we're watching a movie, I might get up to the laptop and do a little bit of work. And But, uh, you know, I try to wake up early and do work and treat it like a normal job. I don't try to work 24-7. It's uh, more of a marathon than a sprint is how I'm treating gotcha. it. So. So you're working at Elder Scrolls Online. So at what point in your career do you go, you know what, I'm really having fun with this, I'm enjoying it, but you know what, I want something new. I want something a little bit more than this to then get into the business for yourself. Uh, I guess I always wanted to do it for myself, but I didn't think it was feasible. I didn't think, am I going to be able to be able to support myself or my family kind of getting in there? Right. And so over the years, you know, really by my, my, my wife's work, she's kind of had like savings set aside. Like, or, or me, I was spending money all the time. <laughs> so she's done good about... Feeling. Yeah, setting us up and keeping us safe. And she got to the point where she's like, you know, you always talk about wanting to do your own thing. Why don't you get out there and give it a try? So it's it's really, you know, my wife is kind of supporting me behind, you know, doing these things. She kind of believes in me. So she's bringing home the bacon right now. And, uh, that's so cool you know. Because you know what, though? That, that's very key, I think. It's very important to have a really good support system. Oh, oh yeah, definitely. Because I'm sure a lot of people are like, computer programming, like, you know. 
<laughs> I mean, me on one end, I'm like, oh, that's so cool. But, you know, there's, I'm sure there's always that one or two people who are like, why would you want to do that? And it's just, you don't know why. You're just, you're just into it. Oh, program? Yeah, I don't know how I really got into it when I was a kid, but uh, I've loved it ever since I knew it existed. I think the whole idea of creating something, you know how people get into creating like Minecraft? Yes. You know, that's cool. But if you think about it, programming is the exact same way, but you can create so much more cooler stuff. You know, once you figure out how to program. Let's get into your game. Heroes Guard. Yep. Well, I mean, granted, you already told me what it's about, but maybe we should let everybody else know. So sure. what exactly is Heroes Guard about? So Heroes Guard, uh, subtitled The Journal, is it's an interactive fiction game. So really kind of what that means, it's like a choose-your-adventure book plus uh, some tabletop role-playing plus right. a card game. That's sort of a mini-game. So it's kind of stuff mashed in together, but the, the key thing behind the whole thing was I love Choose Your Adventure books growing up. Oh, those were my favorites. Yeah, super big in the 80s, and something happened in the 90s, in the early 2000s, they just kind of died off. People forgot about them, right? Which is weird. I'm like, how does something like that ever go away? It's a perfect premise. Because it's like, it's, and it's always these weird stories like, oh, hey, you're like this kid who works at a convenience store. And next you know, the store gets attacked by ninjas. <laughs> do you turn to page 34 and call the police? Or do you turn to page 75 and do you throw like a slushy at them? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I no totally love those. no matter what page you turn to, you always die. Die, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and speaking of that, that's one of the things I wanted to fix about the game is I saw these these, these old books and these uh, right. game books, and I really liked them, but there were some things I thought that were missing. And so when I f started finding them on the App Store, these things started coming back again because people are on people's tablets and they're flipping through them. Then I found out these things called game books existed. So game book is like choose your adventure, but instead they add dice and a character sheet. I was like, oh my God, where was this thing when I was a kid? Right. You know? And but they were around in the '80s, but they were really big in the UK, so they didn't really make such a big splash over Why here. Why is that always the case with us? Why are <laughs> we always like the last adopters on all the good stuff? Right. Yeah. And but even playing those, I found something was missing. I wanted more replayability, and I wanted more strategy. So how I solved the strategy part was adding the card game. So okay. things you pick up in the story become some part of your your uh, your card arsenal. And when you fight some of the bigger battles, you get to play a, a short strategic uh, card game uh, to kind of um, yeah. So you get to ch choose. You know, I'm throwing a fireball out, or I'm using my sword. Or, you know, I'm using this healing kit I had kind of picked up to kind of battle uh, your foe. And then where the replayability part comes from, because that also is big for me. I want to be able to play my own game and be surprised about what's happening. You know what I mean? Right. I don't want it to be super predictable. And so there's an interactive map you come to. And so what's different about it is there's different short stories that pop up on the interactive map. So that means every time you play, there's a new set of short stories on the map that's going on. And then the other cool thing on top of that is these short stories can escalate. So if you decide to go shopping instead of taking care of uh, reports of like missing small animals <laughs> and like in these these big egg sacks laying around, then that story can escalate. Instead, when you go back, that story is overrun by giant spiders. Holy crap! So if you went there earlier, you would have had a easier time possibly tracking it down the problem. But and now much it's like escalating. choose your adventure, you kind of had a little bit of foresight as far as planning ahead a couple of moves and yeah. saying, okay, if I do this, okay, how does it also affect that part? Absolutely. That is amazing. And you know what? That is pretty much like the definition of interactive. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, we mentioned before about dying, you know, no matter which, whichever way you went. And so that kind of sucks. So a lot of times you start to cheat. You put your little thumb in the book and you kind of <laughs> exactly. like, you go back, no, no, I don't want that choice. I want to see what the ending is. So what I wanted to do there was instead of dying, you basically just kind of suffer a little bit. So you may not end up as rich 
or instead you might be a beggar instead of like heir to the throne or something like that, depending on how well you did throughout the story. Oh, okay, so, so it's not like a traditional game over where you have to start at the very beginning. Right, yeah, I hated that. A lot of people I talked to, they kind of hate that. And I was like, yeah, you know, let's, it's more of a, you know, let's see how your score kind of is at the end, kind of going through this. Yep. Right, because that's something I've always appreciated going back to console gaming like like or even PC gaming. Like let's say like the Bioware games like Mass Effect or things like that where yes, you have a choice. So you can maybe choose to save this one person or choose not to. And yes, the story may change a little bit, but at the end of the day what happens is all you're really doing is taking a really big detour and sometimes what happens is you're always ending up at that exact same goal or maybe it's maybe the one out of two possible outcomes. Right. Which, of course, real life doesn't work like that. So that's cool that you've now taken that aspect and it's like, okay, the story changes. Uh-huh. But it's not necessarily so, like, you know, linear where you're ending up in the same spot. Right, yep, absolutely. Yeah, and so the whole, like, perspective of the book is that you're an old weathered adventurer and you're trying to recall all your past, you know, early heroic days. And so that's why it's called the journal. You're writing in the journal. So it's all past tense. And that's where the card game comes into play. You go visit a mystic and she's kind of using tarot cards to help you recall some of the oh, bigger that is battles. Awesome. So that's kind of like how they kind of get mashed in together. It kind of ties into the whole, hey, help me remember this because I'm old and feeble now. (laughs) And that's how you, it's like, uh, which direction did I go? That's kind of why the choices kind of pop up, you know, kind of like my memory, you know, is a little fickle. So now, if I remember correctly, you're actually writing this entire story, correct? I'm doing the uh, story, the art, the programming, the marketing, yeah, yeah, everything. How the hell do you find the time dude <laughs> uh i you know if it was if i wasn't a full-time i would definitely partner up with more than one person i would say the hardest part of the whole thing i've uh, you know programming i love doing that so that's nothing right. i'm i'm having a lot of fun doing the art that's cool um you know i love like you know loading up some background music or podcasts or uh just watching netflix in the background while i'm kind of you know it's peace of mind kind of going through it the writing part though that that's a pain in the ass that's really hard uh, well, yeah, because I'd imagine you have to not only just write that particular scenario, but much like your players, they have to sort of map out the entire outcome. So, of course, you have to still be miles ahead of everybody. And then, of course, logistically, then make sure that everything, of course, gels and makes sense. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's a huge, huge deal. I, it, it makes it a little easier that there's there's a couple different parts of the game. So in the first part of the game, you're talking more about your childhood and your adult adulthood, and you're okay. kind of building your character up, things that you went through is what's going to actually give you assignment to your stat points. You, always get, you don't just roll your stat points or choose your stat points. You have to describe the experiences, and that's what gives you different items and things. Um, so there's like that overarching like background history, and then there's also the storyline, which brings things from your background into play. So you got to write for that. But then there's short stories in the middle that they're around uh, 2,500 to, to 3,000 words each that you have to travel through. So... At least I can sit down and just write a short story and say, all right, that piece is done. Another short story, all right, that piece is done. So I can kind of cut it up a little bit. Okay. And they are sort of standalone, so that makes it approachable. But, like, I gotta, like I have to go to the coffee shop if I have to write stories and just shut down and just kind of... I have to be in a whole another, another space kind of <laughs> do that, you know? So let's get into the card game aspect. Now, is the card game always a part of the plan with this? Or is that something that you added later on? So initially... I was going to just have the, I was not going to have the card game. Instead, there was, you were just going to see um, stat rolls being done for you. And so it'd be okay. almost, you just, you're play, you're, you'd be watching your character kind of basically play out. And the more I played with that, I was like, well, that's, that's kind of boring. 
Uh, that's fun for some things. There's some games that work like that way. Right. Um, and I was like, I just want more strategy. You know, there's not enough strategy here missing. It's like, hey, you know, some choices are, you know, present some strategy, but I want more. So I'm a huge fan of like Magic the Gathering. Yep. Um, and things like that. And uh, I didn't want anything nearly as complex as Magic. No, well, I mean, even if it is, it's like, it is complex. The learning curve is steep as hell. But once you're into it, oh, trust me, there was a one summer couple of years ago where I just breathed Magic the Gathering. I sucked, don't get me wrong, because I never upgraded my decks because, well, I was poor. <laughs> but <laughs> it's a great game because it almost kind of reminds me of something, let's say, like, what's the other one, Munchkin is pretty popular where maybe it's a little looser, but there's still some strategy to it. Uh-huh. Yeah, the... Um, it- and it, kind of, it went through a few iterations. So I did a card game on the tablet first, you know, I'm programming it. But then I was like, you know what would be kind of cool? If I did a physical version of this to kind of show off and work with people. And so I was working out the physical version detail. I started changing the game a little bit. And it actually became more of a little bit of a color matching game, which people can kind of connect quickly. Oh, right. I match blue. I match the red. Now, the blue and red actually match to RPG elements. So blues for intelligence, reds for strength. And those things come into play, and you end up having to roll the dice. So you play a card, a strength card, now roll and test your strength to see if you get extra special abilities. And then the cards themselves just do three things. It's either damage, defense, or healing. And so, uh, but each of the special abilities have different strategic options and combos you can kind of look Very at. Very cool. So. Now with the card game, are you planning on having expansions to those? Or is it just strictly all tied into the core game? So I was kind of surprised. I mean, a lot of folks are coming back and playing the card game multiple times. So it's just <laughs> like, okay, so there's something here. People are really enjoying this. And there's definitely two different niches, two different groups. you got people who really like card games, people who like Choose Your Adventure stuff, right? Right. So I think I'm, I'm going to push forward and wrap up the Choose Your Adventure stuff. Uh, and and uh, then after that, I'll probably pursue just a standalone card game kind of stuff. But it's, it's a different market. Uh, it's a different niche. It's a different pricing points and everything. So that's something I got to take into mind. Whereas the uh, Choose Your Adventure stuff uh, has a different approach to it a little bit. So. So now, is this game are currently available for release, or is it still in like the beta phase? It's about to go into beta, actually. So I, right now, I consider it into alpha state. Um, awesome. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, you know, trying to take names now, so that way I can, uh, as soon as the beta is available within about a month, I'll kind of, you know, send it out and say, hey, let me know why you love it. Let me know why you hate it. You know, all of its good feedback. <laughs> But I'm trying to wrap it up in uh, October or November, All so right. not definitely not too far away. We've been talking so much about it. What platforms will this be available for? Uh, iOS and Android. Oh, that's perfect, because I, I hate that. And I, I, I'm going to sound like one of those guys, but I, I'll always see advertisements or things for like these really cool apps and cool games, and I'm like, all right, bottom, bottom, bottom iTunes like no I'm like I'm an Android user help us (laughs) like that one game that just came out the Fallout Shelter oh yeah yeah. and I was really excited it's like oh available for iOS I'm like no I'm a huge Fallout fan don't leave me behind yeah that's rough I I know the feeling there yeah and I'm trying to I actually design it so that way it fits on the phone well and and then it scales up to tablets because it's kind of hard to go the opposite way so if you've got just the phone you want to read through the story and play the card game it's designed for small screens, but then it scales up for the big stuff as well. And I'm glad that you had the foresight to think about that because it's a, such a simple thing, though, that you probably would look at it like, well, duh. But I know with certain games, I'm not going to, of course, name them, but they don't always work on every platform. Like, they look great on tablets. I only rock, like, an S4. Mm, yep. So I don't even have, like, the really cool, like, the note or anything like that. So for on behalf of Galaxy users, I appreciate it. I applaud you. <laughs> Thank you. Where can people find out more about this game, like as far as networking-wise, like your website and everything else? Uh, sure. So the website is underbytestudios.com, and Byte is B-Y-T-E, so a small play on words. 
Um, and then uh, I'm on Twitter, so Underbite Studio. And uh, if you go to my website, you can know, there's Facebook and um, you know my Google page on there and things like that. Uh, yeah, and I'm definitely friendly. If you know, if you guys just want to try it out or feedback, I'm actually getting people to sign up because if people are enjoying the game, uh, I'm going to let them select a handful of folks to kind of design their own card for the game and kind of work oh, with them cool. on that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that's that's one part I can offer to everybody, unfortunately. But that's right. also uh, the piece I can iterate on uh, the quickest is kind of create, you know, custom little cards. Maybe you kind of want to create your own special axe or, you know, scythe well, or something. Believe me, that right? sort so. of feedback and that, like, relationship with your customers is going to really help out a lot. So that's very cool. Rick, thank you so much. It's been an absolute blast chatting with you, man. Oh, you too. And hopefully, like I said, when the game comes out and it's all out in the open, I'll have to come back and have to share my war stories. And it's like, you know what? By the way, I was doing very well in my campaign. Then I got mugged. So you know what? Now I know who to talk to when my game goes wrong. There you go. I'm totally kidding. I'm not going to spam you at all. <laughs> but that'll do it for this Too Many Games edition of Adrian Has Issues. And uh, we'll see you next time. 